In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Do you ever have the experience of being overwhelmed? Things coming at you, concerns for children, finances, problems, the demands of the schedule, more meetings, more games to get to, whatever that might be. I think we're all familiar with that breakneck kind of life that we can have. I was kind of in that space the other day, and you know how the snowball it starts out small and then it goes down the side of the mountain, gets bigger and bigger and bigger? Well, I was, it was pretty big at that point, you know? And I don't even know if I was praying, but God broke through. And he's like, said to me, more spirit, less John. And it was amazing, like, what? Hey, what? Where is this coming from? And it was from the God of the universe was breaking through and speaking to little old me in Point Loma, in my bathroom. <laughs> how amazing and how loving and how real it was. And it made me think of the scripture, John 3.30. John the Baptist says, he must increase, as I point to the crucifix, and I must decrease. It's about his life. It's about him wanting to give his life to me and to you and to us. So is it true that the God of the universe speaks to you emphatically? Yes, he speaks to you. He wants to give you his very life that where he is, you may be. Yes, and I'll tell you this about that speaking. Make it personal. Make it personal. Go to him personally. Don't go to him corporately or with the, the whole unit. Go to him with you and let him meet you where you're at because that's the only way that it can work. Make it personal. He's very personal. You are very personal to him. So we've been talking about the Mass and the liturgy. Today we're going to talk about specifically, buckle your seatbelts, okay? There's going to be a lot. We're going to talk about the liturgy of the word. There's two basic parts to mass, the liturgy of the word, which is proclaimed from here, the ambo, and then the liturgy of the Eucharist. And the liturgy of the word always leads to liturgy of the Eucharist because the Eucharist is beyond words. It's beyond the liturgy of the word. It's the fulfillment of it. We receive the word of God as Jesus says, take and eat and take and drink. But the liturgy of the word. Now, what is the liturgy of the word? It's more than exhortations on to have a moral life or reflections on the spiritual life. The liturgy of the word is God himself speaking to each one of us personally. Can you imagine that? When I experienced that, it was just exhilarating. It's about the most exhilarating thing you can experience in life that God would take the time on a sinner like me and he would break through. And I, I don't even know if I was praying for that, but God somehow came in, and he spoke to my heart, and he touched it and blessed it with himself, his word, and his presence. So the word of God, which we always read from, it is written by human beings, but it's to particular human communities at a particular time, a certain moment in history. So that's why we have to understand when we read the Bible who it was written to and what was the circumstance, because if we don't, then we can get really far off what the message is about and what the message is for us as God speaks to us this word that's ever new to us each and every time we're in the word with him praying. We got to understand that each book of the Bible 
contains a very human element of it. The author's writing style, his personality, his theology, what his pastoral concerns are for at the community at that point. But you have to understand that the scriptures are the word of God. And as I said to you before, if you can only read one thing one each day, it's the word of God. It's not the San Diego Tribune, okay? It's the word of God because God wants to change our lives and bring us into union with him. The word of God is God-breathed. It's breathed in through the authors for us, but with his very divine words. 2 Timothy 3.16, the breathing of God's words into the divine author. And to hear God's words, a serious matter. That's why we process in with the word and hold the book of the gospels on high, because it was serious. When the Israelites and Moses were to get the covenant from God, on Mount Sinai, they prepared for three days. Three days of preparation to to be able to receive God's word as clearly and in a way that could be with them in the depths of their hearts as possible. What is our preparation like? We can continue to ask in preparing for the liturgy today. We can read before and pray before the word of God. And the more that we do that, the greater experience is going to be for us in the sacred liturgy. This is from De Verbum, and it says, we're taught in De Verbum, in the sacred books, the Father who is in heaven comes lovingly to meet his children and talk with them. The Father in heaven comes to meet with you and me and talk with us. And this meeting is not an oppression that's diminishing us, but it's a freeing that fulfills us because we're looking for fulfillment. And this is very much part of the liturgy of the word. And the lector who proclaims the word, he's proclaiming God's word. What a privilege. I mean, this is the word of God. There is no greater word that we can proclaim in our lives. And the liturgical cycle, the readings, are rooted in ancient Jewish practice of worship. In the first century, the laws and the prophets were regularly read in the synagogue worship. And now we have a three-year cycle, A, B, and C. We're in cycle B now, that we pretty much go through the synoptic gospels in that three-year cycle. Synoptic means looking at at the same thing, looking together. So similar gospels. And we reflect on that. And it's about what we reflect on in each Mass, going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, going from the life of Israel, early Israelites, to the life of the church. And then the Gospels focus on Jesus' public ministry. He is the center of salvation history, and all of the rest of Scriptures points to him. And that's true of our lives. Everything would be pointing to Christ. We are all stories, but there's one great story. And that's the story of creation, fall, redemption, and fullness of life in the eschaton with Jesus. So we're all invited to this great story to participate, and that's what the readings are about. So the first reading, let's just look at that a little bit. First reading is from where? From the Old Testament, usually, except in Easter, it's from the Acts of the Apostles. It's about the, the early life of the church as the church is being born. So the Old Testament helps us to enter to the life of Israel. In Israel, what happened? For the Israelites, we fell, we sinned, we turned our backs on God, and it's about 
the Israelites coming and trying to be faithful to God, the living and true God, and trying to experience forgiveness of sins. And we know that the Old Testament was incompetent to be able to do that because the animal sacrifices weren't working for the forgiveness of the sins. St. Augustine said this, the New Testament is hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, we're looking at, okay, the New Testament's already there, this desire for fulfillment, but it's not realized, and it's only realized when the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and His revelation in the New Testament. Now, the first reading and the gospel, they're related often. And sometimes it's relating a continuity or sometimes a contrast between the, the first reading and the gospel. And also, the first reading can be a prefigurement. So if we think about the book of Exodus, that is allusions to baptism. When we celebrate the Passover meal, that is the precursor to the Eucharist where Jesus will pass over and forgive our sins and bring us into life because of the blood of the Lamb. So that's prefigurement in the first reading to the gospel. That can happen as well. My theology teacher in seminary, a noted liturgist, talked about when we pray the, the first reading and we say the word of the Lord, he said, that's like a trumpet blast. That's like a loud shout. Like God has spoken to you. And how do we respond? Thanks be to God. The God of the universe speaks to us. He says, I want to save you. I want to be with you. I want you to have fullness of life. This is why I'm sending my word into the world and specifically into your heart so that I would speak to you, and I am God, and I am Lord, and I am sovereign, that where I am, you may be. And that's what the word, when we say the word of the Lord, it's just this crying out, this loud trumpet being played. So we come in amazement before that. And we give thanksgiving to God and his gratitude to God for his good works and action in history. And then the responsorial psalm that we just sung, that's response to the first reading, the first word. There's 150 psalms, and those are songs, and that was in temple worship. And uh, it draws out the meaning of the first reading, and really what the psalms are, that's the prayer of Jesus. That's Jesus praying. Jesus is thanksgiving to the Father. And so we join in the prayer that Jesus prayed and giving thanksgiving to God our Father. And through our baptism, it's no longer you that live, no longer that I live. It is Jesus who lives in me. And I am in him, through him, with him. And that's what the Psalms are about. We are totally God's. And what's beautiful about the Psalms, it's not our own meager words. This is the word of God that cannot be topped, that was in, that divinely inspired for us. And the Psalms, we have the refrain, right? So it's antiphonal. We go back and forth, back and forth, recounting the works of the Lord and then giving thanks to God for his love and his wondrous mercy, going back and forth, back and forth. We agree and we join with all the angels and saints and Jesus in this sharing together of our deepest convictions, our deepest identity, our passion in words that we could never come up with on our own, that are better expressed than we'll be ever able to express. And what is this called? What this, can this be? Some theologians have called it the dance. And it comes from the perichoretic reality that we're in. What is perichoretic reality? 
I wrote about this in my master's thesis. It's the total sharing, the total giving and receiving of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from all eternity, the total infinite giving to each other and receiving with each other, and they say, join the dance. They say, join the divine dance, and that's what the Psalms can be seen. We're joining the angels and saints in this worship of our all good and merciful and loving and eternal God. That's what the Mass is. That's what we're doing when we celebrate the Liturgy of the Word and opening our hearts to that. Good news. Good news. Second reading. Second reading is from the New Testament. Usually epistles of Paul, but you also have Acts and Revelation. They're often independent from the first and the gospel. They're different, and so they kind of, in a lot, a lot of ways, can stand on their own. But it's really about the mystery of Christ and his saving work for us. It's the practical application of the life of Christ for us. It's, as St. Paul says, putting on Christ and turning from sin. That's the second reading. And then we have the gospel. And the gospel, we stand, it's preeminent, it's Jesus. So what the gospel is, is me not proclaiming the gospel, but it is Jesus who speaks to us, who is here in the person of the priest speaking to us. God of the universe, our Savior, in our midst, addressing us out of love for our fullness of life, the teaching of our Savior. And we stand at ready posture, like as in old, before in Nehemiah, Ezra reading the law of God and the commandment of God to the people, and the people standing before in reverent attention. And before we pray the gospel, what do we sing? The Alleluia response. And what does hallelujah mean? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's in our presence. The Savior has come. The hope of my heart, the desire of all my desiring is coming into our midst to address us with what will fulfill us. So that procession, the salvation of God is coming, and we praise the Lord. And then the one who reads the gospel, before they read the gospel, they say, cleanse my heart and lips that I may worthily proclaim this gospel. That takes us back to Isaiah the prophet. God calls Isaiah the prophet, I want you to be a prophet. Oh, I am a man with unclean lips. And then what happens in that vision? The angel takes the burning coal and puts it on Isaiah's lips. And that he is forgiven for his sins. And then he is freed up through that forgiveness to proclaim the gospel. And that's what we're praying for. The one who proclaims the gospel is that, that freedom from sin to gloriously proclaim the presence of God in our midst. And then what do we do before we pray the gospel? Right before we make three signs, three signs of the cross. We make the sign of the cross on our foreheads and on our lips and on our heart. On our foreheads, that can take us to Romans 12, 1, 2. Do not be conformed by this generation, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And guess what? We're not getting this in the Tribune, okay? You're not getting this in the San Diego Tribune. Be not conformed to this generation, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may judge what is God's will, what is good and pleasing and perfect. To have the mind of Christ, everything flows from our thoughts. And then we make the sign of the cross on our lips, and that can get us to, I think it's Proverbs 18, 21, life and death are found in the power of the tongue. The power of our words, what we say. I've seen people build up and dream, dreams uh, born because of what words have been said, and I've seen people just shattered through words. 
from fellow man, but just multiply that times infinity and what the Word of God can do for us when He burns that on our hearts, such as He did to me in my bathroom last week. More spirit, less John. And so we make the sign of the cross on our lips knowing the power that we have in our words. And we make it on our hearts. That's our deepest identity. That's what we will give our lives for. How did we get the four Gospels and how do we get all the epistles? Because those four Gospel writers in St. Paul, they gave their lives for it. They shed their blood for this Gospel that we could have it today. How humbling is that? That we would come here in reverence to say, a man gave his life so that I can have the Word of God in the Gospels and the epistles this day. We stand amazed. We stand, we hear the word of the Lord and it's God speaking to us. And the, the only way that we can respond is thanks be to God. There's no spectators in the pews, but it's hearing from Jesus. And it's not some man 2,000 years ago in Palestine. It's here, he's front and center of you today. You're hearing your face speaking to you such that maybe we might hear in the Gospels, repent and believe in the Gospel. Maybe we're called to repent and to believe in the Gospel. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or maybe we're with the adulterous woman in the dirt that Jesus came from heaven to earth, the God of the universe came from heaven to earth to speak to her in Jesus and say, nor do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Be forgiven, speaking to us. And then finally, the liturgy of the word, we can talk about the homily. The homily is supposed to be an explanation. So the Levitical priest would seek to explain the word and the command of God, the law of God to the people to help them understand, make sense of the law. In Nehemiah 8, 7 through 8, we read about that. So the homily is about to understand this and apply it to our lives, this word of God, this word that Jesus speaks to us. Liturgy of the word. Be a catcher, be alert, be open, be ready. Be ready for a 100 mile an hour fastball. Be that alert, that attentive. The God of the universe is never not speaking to you. Whether it be in your house, your family, your car, school, work, play, at rest, especially in prayer as we come together, as you go to adoration, God wants to speak his word into your life. We make the sign of the cross over our hearts before we listen to the gospel prayed for us in each mass. It's our deepest identity. There's one life to live. It's the life of God. And he comes to speak to us in his son exactly where we're at, exactly what we need. He knows more than you know what you need. We just give him our presence in our tattered, shining lives and ask him to speak to us, to forgive, to heal, to fulfill. Are you? Are you forgiven? Are you healed? 
Are you fulfilled? The God of the universe comes to speak to you. Yes, yes, yes. Do you believe?